welcome to the Imbalance podcast series, hosted by Brady Technologies, your guide to short-term power markets in Europe and beyond. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this episode of Brady's podcast, In Balance. We are synchronizing the release of this podcast with our second white paper over short-term power trading, which we're going to talk about as part of the podcast. Joining me is Murray Rennie, who's up in Edinburgh while I was down in London. Hello, Murray. Afternoon, Chris. How are you? I'm good, thanks. Back after a day off, so looking forward to what we've got to talk about this afternoon. Perfect. Excellent. So... In our podcast, we're going to be talking about the white paper. Our white paper highlights differences between the market as it was substantively designed in 2001, the market today and the imminent problems and challenges around the corner. But I think before we talk about the past, present and future, Murray, we probably want to talk a little bit about some of the physical terms that we're going to be using in... um, the podcast is there any anything that our readers might want to know about in terms of energy transportation and balancing i always think it was the interesting one which i always used to talk to the engineers about is when you got round to describing inertia and really what we meant by inertia and also frequency tell us about it See, inertia, inertia was never my strong point. The way it was always... Dis- Do you want me to jump in? Yeah, you jump in because I know, I know that was an area you gave a good, good description of. Okay, so so classic inertia is you, you, it's basically the, the wish of a body in motion not to slow down. So if something is going very fast or is very heavy, it has greater inertia. So it's really it's like mass times velocity. But in the context of these electricity generation, when you have turbines connected to alternators, which are essentially big, heavy spinning magnets going at 3000 RPM, they have energy, they have kinetic energy. And the heavier the turbine, the more inertia it has because the more effort it is to slow it down. So when you have a grid with lots of coal power stations, nuclear power stations and gas power stations synchronized to the grid, i.e. all of those magnets are running together at the same frequency in the same phase, then the system has lots of mass, lots of kinetic energy on it. If you displace those synchronous assets with non-synchronous passive assets like wind farms or solar parks, which just use inverters to create an artificial alternating current, then you don't get inertia. So we often talk about you know, there's a big change caused by decarbonisation, it's because the system has lost mass, it's lost inertia, because it's essentially running with lighter assets and non-synchronous assets. Do you think that'll work for our listeners, Murray? I think that'll work for them. Brilliant. Um, I also think what's quite interesting in that whole kind of market is frequency and rate of change of frequency or rock-off. Would you be able to take us what rock-off is and why it's important? for the grid operator. Absolutely. So um, Rockoff, for those who don't know, stands for the rate of change of frequency. Here we go. It's another industry and energy term we're introducing to every day, but it would be a dull podcast without a new term. So effectively, it is about the change of rotating mass and how this affects the system. And I think in the paper, Chris, we give quite a good, or I say we, I mean you, give a very nice description about the fact about 
and looking at the fact on a nice sort of sunny, slightly windy summer day when you're getting sort of most of the energy coming from non-synchronous wind and solar. Where and then if you lost something like a big power station, magic like a big sort of five hundred megawatt gas gas fire generator in that day is going to have a, a massive impact on the frequency of the system because you're taking off that big big sort of spinning mass out there and just leaving these sort of um, the smaller wind farms and stuff online. Whereas the opposite is the, the, the opposite it is like a cloudy, still winter's day when you've got the more traditional nuclear CCGT supply in the grid. You know, at that point, if you lose 500 megawatts, it's not that bad because you can, you can easily find the 500 megawatts from the, the other forms of generation that are on at that point. So hopefully that, that was my understanding of Rockoff. So hopefully that's explained it in simple terms. Perfect. So, so quite related to inertia. So low inertia and big losses give high rock off. So it's a challenge for National Grid to manage this. Perfect. So Murray, I was around on the 27th of March 2001 when the market as we know it opened. Were you around then or did you join slightly later? I was around at that point. I was actually had the joy of sleeping that first night, but was in was in very early the next morning to start I start at six o'clock. I was on at midnight, so uh, I did flipping of the switch. So to our listeners, the new electricity trading arrangements, NITA, which form pretty much 99% of the rules we have in energy trading in the GB today, started on the 27th of March 2001 when Murray and I were significantly younger lighter and probably had a lot more hair as well what what are your key thoughts about what was interesting around that time what was going on so for me the big thing about it and I, I remember us sitting there as a team just trying to wonder what was going to change I think we'd all had this came from this world of central dispatch and and a world where national grid told you what you had to generate and when you had to generate it, moving into this kind of exciting and a bit new world where you chose when you were going to dispatch your own power station at a time when the finances and the economics suited you to generate. And then there was also this whole new world of the balancing mechanism and how National Grid were going to balance the system in real time. And I remember sitting there, it's one of the, the, the key things I remember from back then, was sitting there the week before going, oh, this balancing mechanism thing, you know, we'll be lucky if we get one instruction a week to find that within the first two minutes we'd had multiple instructions. So that I remember that coming as a little bit of a surprise, but it was a fairly new, exciting time. And um, it definitely brought the whole idea of real-time trading and balancing to the masses, or, and I use the word masses there, by those of us who were trading in the industry at the time. What about you, Chris? Yeah, what, did, so, what do you remember from those early fun days? So I remember I was running a fleet of nuclear power stations and one coal power station. Some of my more advanced colleagues, probably like yourself, had combined cycle gas turbines or CCGTs. I remember that it was. it's very interesting because as Murray was describing, the, the UK system is a self-dispatch system. So you get to choose your power stations running, but you can't do that all the way down to real-time delivery. At some point, National Grid needed to just make sure things were right. So they introduced this concept of gate closure. So your assets were your own until three and a half hours before delivery. And then you use the balancing mechanism and grid could turn you up, turn you down and flex the grid. And you're right, we didn't expect to get many instructions. We got quite a few. 
as well on our kind of opening and we realized that it actually worked quite well that national grid could take your predefined prices to go up or what you would pay to turn down and manage the grid quite well and they had three and a half hours to do it and actually within about a year they moved that down to one hour because they were so good weren't they they found it so good to use it was thankfully they moved it down there was a there was a, a negative side to that three and a half hours as well and I, i'm sure you were probably on the side of that as well where if you, you had a, a problem with one of your assets it was three and a half hours where you really couldn't do very much so you were you were stuck waiting on imbalance price so it coming down to an hour because grid were able to sort of manage the system so well was actually of a benefit to those who had slightly dodgy assets at that time yeah well i mean there was probably only about circa 10 trading desks then there was me doing nuclear there was kind of national power power gen scottish um, intergen etc there was there was not that many people out there so there's not that many people to go to when you're on a trip but the whole system was based around big slow assets and 10 people trading power one amongst one another to create a fair price to represent the short-term power index market index price mip yeah that's right the other thing i remember back from those days was about how the fact that mandatory frequency response and about how the fact it was almost set into your grid contract how much you would earn from from frequency response and that was something that didn't stay there for for too long before that moved into a, sort of more dynamic open open to bidding month ahead market there's some interesting times there as well yeah but you you had to still bid into mandatory frequency response didn't you but you could also bid into more optional markets as well but the the assets that were supplying the energy were sufficient to supply the frequency response ancillary services as well you didn't have any assets just doing ancillary services no that's true so back then big assets slow moving only a few traders and national grid managing the system moving coal and gas units around with a high inertia slightly different today isn't it it's a very different world today i think if you'd um, asked people back in 2001 what the situation would be and brought them forward to see what things were like today they'd be surprised at just how much has changed and what relative is relatively a short amount of time yeah well i remember some of the facts out there like um if you were sitting in national grid and you had the, the the typical balance of coal nuclear and gas in and some of them providing their primary frequency and secondary frequency response generally you could leave the system for about half an hour to an hour do nothing and it would self-balance nowadays i believe that time scale is down to a minute or two that people are continuously looking at the system and seeing what they need to procure. So a completely different clock speed, the requirement for balancing mechanism actions and the equivalence just to balance the system. Absolutely. And I think that's changed also around the times and the volumes of actual energy trading. I think back to the the early 2000s, you were maybe doing one or two trades an hour and it was just on fine tuning. Whereas it seems to be now that people are doing trades one or two trades per minute to balance their position which if you then multiply that up across the course of a day means the actual volume of trading that's going on now is vastly superior to what i think anybody ever imagined back in 2001 yeah i mean liquidity is so much higher the 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 need to have a live position report is so much higher but also the the asset mix that people have is completely different so so when i was running say a coal power station 
most of the time, the four 500 megawatt units I was in control of did what I told them. So if I said turn up to 500 megawatts, they generally did near 500 megawatts. Um, but now those trading discs out there have got large combinations of wind and solar, and they'll receive an update to their forecast, probably, you know, some probably every five minutes, generally every couple of hours. And so you, you never know what your position is going to be, and you're not so much in control of it, you're more reacting to it, which again, means you need lots of liquidity, lots of flexible assets to be able to retrade. A completely different mix for the trader. I just can't imagine how many trades they do an hour with what you were saying about more liquidity, Murray, but also the asset types being so different. Absolutely. I think it is what, you know, we're seeing people now have a much greater mix of assets before, as you said, it was like you had one or two types in your portfolio. Whereas now it seems to be people have quite a good mix of things you know be onshore wind offshore wind batteries solar there's all you know the lots of different things in there and as you say the frequency at which you're getting information thrown at you stroke provided to you now as a trader means you're very much reliant on having some form of things automatically updating for you rather than having to like copy and paste data from one place to the other because as soon as you'd finish that you'd have to start all over again never staying on top of what your actual net open position is yep Indeed. I mean, for me, what's really also interesting is the amount of assets that could react intrigate. So I remember the, the kind of creation of like those small micro assets around the late 2000s where they were small enough you didn't have to give grid notice to move around. But now I think nearly every trading desk out there has not only got assets you have to tell grid pianable, but they've got smaller assets to self-balance in the real short term as well. So not only do you have to do all your trading, up into like gate closure, which is only what about forty-five minutes before the delivery period now. Yeah, that's at the it. end of the delivery period. Sorry, you you actually intragate. You can self-balance with smaller assets as well to really maximise your value at the cash-out price. Yeah, it's also I think fascinating as well the number of different products that are now as well. So it's not just now the balancing mechanism and the the wholesale trading market. There's also these new different types of ways in which grid can balance the system that people have the option of balancing or submitting bids into so yeah it's a much more complicated job now being a trader than it was in the early 2000s i i imagine so so in summary we've got completely different asset mix a completely different clock speed extra products that can be stackable with wholesale so you'd kind of assume that everyone's running on whole new systems is that the case for, for you, Murray? Do you think everyone's got new fancy Dan short-term ETRMs? I think everybody would like to have a new short fancy Dan short-term ETRM, but I think in reality is that the majority of trading desks are still working off a lot of spreadsheets or pieces of things that they've cobbled together themselves that to try and help them manage a number of these new questions that are being asked of them. I'm pretty sure one of the largest trading desks in the GB, a spreadsheet, based around something I helped towards right on the 28th of March, the day after Nita, when it all went wrong, is probably still in there over 21 years later. So, you know, the problem is that if you've got like the FIS Align or you've got the Ion Endure Open Link or you've got, you know, one of those type of products, it's not really suited to short-term trading anyway, and it's even less suited. So the rules are the same. The assets are completely different. The clock speed is completely different. The products are completely different. And the IT is the same. So 
bit of a disaster. What's around the corner, do you think, Murray, in terms of rule changes? I think there's a good number of things that are coming around the future. I think, um, again, there's the, I sort of alluded to it in the previous one, we were seeing new products. In the future, I can only see there being more and more products available to the trader. I think we're going to see cash-out volatility. You know, we've already seen some, I think, back to probably early winter last year rather than winter this year because we've not had the extreme temperatures as much, but some massive fluctuations in um, in balance price. Again, something that the trader is going to have to keep their eye on and manage. And again, that sheer volume of trades that they're doing. They're doing hundreds of trades per hour. They need the, the, the tools behind there to make sure that they have a really good understanding of what their actual position and what they're trying to balance to is. Anything else, Chris, that you think that people are out there asking or wishing that they had? Well, I am not a big fan of some of the ideas of moving to a nodal market. And a nodal market means that instead of having one price for the GB, you understand that there's a difference of where the the power needs to go and where it needs to flow. And you create different hubs to trade to and then you have a price maybe for scotland and a price for england or it could be even more sensitive than that my i don't like a nodal market because it reduces liquidity and transparency because you don't get all of the people trading in the same place and my feel is a nodal market should only have price signals in the very short term in balancing actions so i would i would like to see how the market develops with more localized versions of the balancing market maybe at the lower voltages within the the demand system operators dso's sorry distribution system operators my error and that could end up meaning that whilst you balance to a national point you'd have to have software and dispatch capabilities to react to local balancing instructions or maybe kind of local balancing in the short term that could be quite interesting but as I say, I'm not a fan of a fully nodal market, but short-term nodal price signals I, I am a fan of. Yeah, that's an interesting one on the the nodal model. I think that's something we, we touched on in an earlier podcast, if I remember when we talked about examples that had been done down in Cornwall and also something that they talked about in, in the Orkney Isles. But again, it's that it's only at that DSO level, but not at the national level because you can get conflicting signals. I think you're completely right there. And the other thing that I think needs to work, so we're talking about a nodal model, that's like a geographical increase in data. But I also think that the current mechanism for stacking of markets, and that means like I could provide ancillary services and a bit of wholesale, or I could choose whether to go into the auction for wholesale or choose to go in the auction for dynamic containment or something like that. It doesn't work incredibly well. At the moment, you have to go into one auction You have to price what you might want to do in the next auction for a different service into your bid. And then you you basically go to the second. So it'd be like, okay, I'll I'll go into the wholesale auction. I'll sell my power at £200 because I think the the later ancillary auction, I'll make £200. But actually what we should be thinking about is, is shouldn't those auctions and stacking be a bit more simultaneous? And you should be saying, I'll do that market for this price or that market for this price or i could do that market and that market for this price and have a bit more of a holistic clearing algorithm that interacts between wholesale and ancillaries in a slightly more sensible way yeah is that almost like just what you're talking about there's the idea of a linked blocked bid we we know we can do a block bid in the wholesale sort of day ahead auction where you where you say i will sell certain part of the day only if i can buy back part of the other 
So you're just extending the example yeah. out there to talk about being able to do that sort of auction plus ancillary as well, which I think is where the market would like to go, certainly from the traders I've been speaking to recently. Yeah. Well, I mean, when we think about your example from the start, what it was like in 2001, there was no interaction between mandatory frequency response and wholesale trading because grid could get enough frequency response from the assets that were going to run anyway because they were in merit. So they were completely separate um, processes. And one was like a month ahead fixed price for frequency response. And then one was a half hourly market. Now we have assets that don't have to do energy, but can do ancillary but they can do one or the other at times, not necessarily the same. So it seems very logical that we redefine the markets and the way they clear to acknowledge that there's a natural synergy stroke arbitrage between ancillary and wholesale. Yeah, that sounds like that would be a, a very useful thing that, to come in, but something that seems that's complicated and isn't something that will be resolved in the short term. Oh, I hope I retire before they try doing that one. <laughs> So in summary, Murray, as we come up to the end of the podcast time, the market's completely changed. The assets completely changed. The rules have bent, but they haven't changed. And the software definitely hasn't changed. Can you just tell us quickly about how you think Brady's Power Desk could help our listeners in navigating this new frightening world of short-term power? Absolutely. I think so. One of the things that we've, we've highlighted in this is the fact that there's it's the need to get data to the trader, not the need for the trader to actually go out there and to fetch the data for themselves and to copy and paste it in into a spreadsheet. Because by that point, you know, things have moved on and they've had new forecasts through. So one of the great things we're doing with PowerDesk is enabling people to push that data to us and let PowerDesk do all the calculating of the data. Let the trader trade, let the trade, let's not have your traders copying and pasting data. I think also PowerDesk has, with connectivity to the auctions, to the intraday market, and to the reserve markets and, and some of the locations we're live in. It's that starting to see thing in a stack, you know, as a trader, am I better putting my volume into the wholesale at the day ahead stage? Am I better bidding into the reserve market? Am I better keeping it all back to intraday? So having that information to hand and be able to see that data in front of you is something that in PowerDesk has definitely helped the trader understand what their position is and be able to make those decisions completely agree so if any of our listeners obviously want a, a demonstration of the powerless product please get in touch with brady technologies but the interest in short-term power grows as we see i've been talking to a lot of people who are looking to install batteries at the moment wanting to trade short-term power rather than doing simple trading contracts i think the market is just going to continue at the same pace of change so thank you murray for your your inputs in today i think some of our key listeners informed me that uh, my one-year-old son andreas was was present on last month's podcast you probably are going to hear him again on this one accompanied by a bit of bob the builder so uh apologies for some of the background noise from myself and murray as we record the podcast but we hope that you look forward to the white paper and to next month's episode thank you murray thanks chris